So first, <clears throat> I would like to express my gratitude to all of you. I'm grateful to have a chance to be practicing with you. It's a wonderful thing to have a group of people gather together to do what we're doing here. And my gratitude for your efforts today. It's not uncommon. I would say it's pretty common for, as I said last night, the first day of a retreat to be challenging. There's tiredness, there's aches, all kinds. There are sometimes headaches that occur. There's restlessness and backlog of emotions and momentum of our life. And there's a lot of things that make it hard to just slow down, just be here in clear, stable, settled way. And it's, it's common enough that you shouldn't take it personally, just part of the process. But I'm very grateful for all of you of offering your day of practice like this. It's uh, easy to, in the middle of the challenges, to not appreciate how spectacular it is what you're doing. And that's really rare in our world and something that I wish would many more people will devote themselves to. The world would be a much better place. So thank you. And second, I want to say something about the practice of, li- of listening to a Dharma talk. The listening to a Dharma talk time is a time to practice as well, for those who are listening and also for those who are speaking. And for those, who, for the, when you're listening to a Dharma talk, uh, there's all kinds of ways of practicing and listening and being present. It's, uh, it helps to be in a kind of open, receptive mode, not necessarily gullible mode, but open and receptive, so you can hear what's being said. And when you hear what's being said, and you take it in, and some of it might seem strange to you, or it might be interpreted in kind of lofty ways, reinterpret it for yourself first for how it's already true for you. How is it that what you're hearing might already be true? Maybe ordinary ways of life. And maybe you get access to what's being said by discovering you already know this. So we're teaching about mindfulness and you've all been mindful many times in your life without having been told to do it, without thinking you're doing it as a practice. And perhaps there are ordinary circumstances in life where you find yourself certainly attentive and present and engaged just fully with what's happening in the moment. And, um, and you can call on those ordinary moments as a reference point for how to do mindfulness here. I know when I was a new student to mindfulness, I had this lofty idea of what I was trying to do. And because of that, I didn't do it and I kind of lost the simplicity of just the practice this moment. And as I offer what I'm going to teach this this evening, I might say a variety of things, some of it which might not be relevant to some of you, and that's okay. My, My hope is that each of you will have two things for you. I really would, from the deep depth of my heart, to the fullness of my heart, I really want to somehow encourage you or or support you in trusting this amazingly profound process that you're involved in of being present, being mindful, just the continuity of just showing up and being here, being here, being here. 
It's the process you're in as you, over these days that's really an amazing thing. And I want to encourage you and be your cheerleader for it. The other thing I'd like to do is hopefully leave you with maybe one or two ideas of practice, practice ideas that support you and guide you, um, engage you as you go through here. So I might do, you know, throw out all kinds of things and uh, maybe one or two of them will stick for you. And that's all I hope for. Soon before the Buddha died, he gave some of his last teachings. And one of the ones uh, that is, I think is kind of very powerful was he, uh, was gonna, he started off by saying, I'm going to teach you what I discovered. And you think the end of his life and he's going to finally tell what he discovered, that's the time to listen. And he did not offer abstract ideas. He did not offer metaphysical truths. He didn't even offer the, uh, the Four Noble Truths at that time. But what he offered was, um, what he said, what he discovered, was he discovered a set of practices and states of mind that can arise as you do those practices, qualities of mind. And prominent in the list of qualities of mind that can arise as you practice is the seven factors of awakening. I love the idea of awakening, the concept of it, um, partly because I have an ordinary reference for it. Rather than having a lofty reference, you know, this great grand awakening with double capital, extra size, large A. Um, you know, uh, for me, when I think of, the first thing I think of when uh, being awake is um, having taken a really nice nap in the middle of the day <clears throat> and having woken up in a room that's wonderfully clear and light-filled. Maybe the sun is shining in in a nice way. And I have nowhere I have to go. I feel refreshed and content. And I'm content and happy just to lie there in bed for a while or on the couch or wherever it happens to be. And appreciate the moment. And in that moment, I'm, my sleepiness, my tiredness, weariness has gone away because of the nap. I feel refreshed. And there's some, there can be sometimes a crispness or clarity uh, in the mind in that state, the state of being awake. And I think the seven factors of awakening kind of are different kind of qualities that we can see perhaps in an ordinary state of being awake. I'm really awake here. So there's mindfulness in the sense that there's a clear knowing of what's happening in the present moment. There's a clear sense of being present for what's going on. You look around the room, you see the light and the walls. And, and I've been awake and amazed at just looking at the walls of the room. They're just kind of amazing just to look at the walls. Partly because, not because of the walls, but because there's something very special about being aware. And the walls just happen to be the subject of the awareness. But there's a kind of clarity in being aware and present that's there, mindful, aware. And there's a kind of sense of curiosity or discrimination or investigation. Now, what is this? The light comes through, the pattern of light on the wall, the leaves, the window outside. Just kind of looking at it, kind of a little bit maybe in awe or fascinated or really taking in the simplicity of this very moment, this experience now. 
taking it in more fully. And there's a kind of energy. It's not, a, not an anxious energy or, or a striving energy or lethargic energy, but there's a kind of a, almost, like, almost an energy which is invisible because it's just there in, in the state of mind. The mind is energized, but not, you wouldn't, it's energized in such a way you wouldn't say it's energized, but it's not de-energized. It just it's, has just the right energy to be clear and present and just laying there. And there's a kind of a joy or well-being or delight or appreciation for this state of being refreshed and relaxed and alert and this clarity of being awake. And then there's also a kind of tranquility. Certainly there's no, there can be very little or no agitation, no feeling of impatience, need to get somewhere. Sometimes I'm being, occasionally I'm being kind of amazed, how long can I lay here and be content? You know, until my bladder, my bladder has other ideas. And, um, and so there's a kind of a tranquility, but it's not tranquility of being like a couch potato, just kind of like, you know, it's just, there's a kind of a tranquility which is crisp or clear, has an energy to it, just, you know. And is there samadhi in this state? Depends how you interpret samadhi or concentration. But one way of understanding samadhi is that it's a unified experience of the moment where we're fully there with all of our being. So just being there, laying in bed, awake, it's kind of like everything is cozy, everything is unified, everything, it's kind of like, one, one association I have with samadhi, concentration in meditation, is the cat purring. And um, so, you know, so there's maybe that kind of feeling there. And then um, equanimity. And so there may be some kind of equanimity there, or some balance of mind, where the mind's not going to get reactive. Things happen, the phone rings in the distance, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's mother time. I'm content. Or, you know, something, the mind doesn't go for or against things, it doesn't caught up in desires or aversions. It's just there. So I hope that that works for you a little bit, that the idea of ordinary awakefulness, maybe you've had some experience in your life, maybe distance past of some state of being refreshed like that and just felt really nice and was ordinary, present. I like the expression being awake because there's a kind of, um, when we're awake to something, when we really wake up in a sense, I woke up and I was just there. It's kind of like a state where we're not interfering with what's going on. Sometimes mindfulness can be very interfering. You know, you're going to, I'm going to be mindful of this and make it go away. You know, or I'm going to be really kind of get on top of that and really probe it and get into it. And, you know, all kinds of things we do with mindfulness. Mindfulness is an overused word. We have some, some of us, some of you have been around the scene for a long time, probably have all kinds of associations with mindfulness that you're probably better off without. And, um, but maybe you don't have a lot of associations with being awake. So maybe rather than practicing mindfulness this week, Maybe we're practicing wakefulness. Let me be awake to this experience. What does it mean to be awake to my breathing? And maybe when you're awake, you're not interfering, you're not trying to do something, you're not trying to make something happen. You're just there in a clear way, in a full way. Maybe, I like the idea of receiving it and awareness, the experience. 
So I like the idea of wakefulness. And so this idea of the Buddha is talking about seven different facets of being awake, seven supporting mental qualities that come into play, that, come, that get activated through the practice. And they're not always there by any means. And it's not like we can force them to be there. But it's good to know that they're part of the practice and appreciate when the day arrives. In my early years of practice, um, uh, I had no understanding that it was valuable to recognize and appreciate good states of mind or good qualities that arose. And I, I kind of, because of the undervaluing of them, they couldn't be, they weren't nourished as much or they didn't grow. And now that I know how wonderful these are, it's good to kind of recognize them when they're there. Even if they're just little hints of them, just a little bit. Be careful not to be attached, be careful not to make a big agenda out of them. But the simple, ordinary recognition, appreciation, uh, sometimes is a great antidote to the unfortunate things we spend our time appreciating. Or say differently, the things that we mind tend to get involved in, which maybe is not really for our betterment. We get caught up in all kinds of stories and ideas and criticisms and aversions and desires and all kinds of, you know, machinations of the mind that are probably sometimes painful and unnecessary. And so compared to some of the unnecessary ways the mind gets caught up in things, um, it's, it's good to notice other things going on as well. And sometimes by noticing these qualities, uh, they become stronger. So the first quality is um, uh, the awakening factor of mindfulness, the mindfulness factor of awakening. And it, uh, one way of understanding these seven factors of awakening is that they're progressive. It doesn't have to be seen this way, but uh, they follow kind of a, a course of practice, kind of slowly over time. Uh, you start with mindfulness and these other ones begin to unfold. And the, the, the mature level of mindfulness is we come to the last one, which is equanimity. Uh, when mindfulness is strong, there's a lot of equanimity. And uh, it's kind of nice that we're more or less, we're following that sequence of the seven factors. I think it fits relatively well, or not relatively, but it kind of fits more or less gen- generally with kind of some of the unfolding of a retreat and what's needed at different times. So here we are the first day, and it's a mindfulness retreat. We're practicing mindfulness. And I would like to say a few things about mindfulness, perhaps from a little different angle than some of you have heard before, partly because otherwise you'll fall asleep if it's the same thing, keep you awake. The, um, I think mindfulness or awareness or wakefulness is one of the most amazing events in the universe. I mean, how did this happen? I mean, you remember we used to be like primal slime? Before that, we were cosmic dust. And somehow, the way that this universe of ours is made, there are these elements and atoms and stuff that come together and they react with each other. And then they react and combine in different ways and they bump into each other and they react and combine, do different things and pull away and and they get more and more complicated down through the billions of years. And then at some point, these little chemicals become self-replicating and then they bump into each other and get more complicated. And at some point, 
these, they look around and they're more, more responsive to the environment. Maybe they feel more what's going on around them. They respond more and more to what's going on. And as they respond, these different, they respond and start, start seeing and hearing and smelling and there's a awareness. So they can interact and be part of it. It's amazingly, it's a complicated thing to do all these things. And then at some point, there became a kind of a, a self-reflective awareness where we know that we know. And we know that we're here knowing. We know that we're here experiencing and finding our way and negotiating in the world. And then we know that I didn't get enough dessert. In fact, there was no dessert and I wanted dessert. And why don't they have dessert here? And I need a dessert. And, and we have this amazing capacity to be self-reflective and have desires and wishes and, and forget because we didn't get dessert. Forget what an amazing thing that we're part of. What is awareness? What is it to be aware? What is it to know? What is it? We, we're, we're, we are, been, have been, we received the gift of awareness, which is, I would say, one of the most complicated things in this universe. But it's, for the most part, usually, unless we have some kind of mental, you know, epilepsy or something, consciousness, awareness by itself, the simplicity of it, operates so smoothly, so easily, that we don't even, it's like the fish who doesn't see that it's the water it's swimming in. We don't really, you know, it's like if you look out through your eyes, you know, you can go around and look at things and I want that, I don't want that, that's not so nice, that's great. We've always, you know, we're involved with things, but it's also possible to kind of step back and be aware that you're looking. There's what you see and there's the act of looking. You kind of even feel that you're kind of looking from, you know, this middle, these holes in your skull in the front of your face. Kind of say, what, what's it like to look? But we, often we don't, we're not so cognizant or present for the fact that we're looking. We just see and like, you know, we're involved in the world. And, you know, it just happens so, an automatic pilot. So same thing with being aware. It's an amazing thing. And so one of the things we're doing in developing mindfulness, developing awareness, awake, we're developing awakefulness, is not only learning to see clearly what's here, we're trying to have the quality of awareness, quality of wakefulness become strong enough, become something we're sensitive to enough that it stands out, that we're really aware, we know, and we know that we're aware. There's a, we could, you don't have to, not that you have to go around doing this all the time, but if someone asks you, you can say, yeah, I, I was aware and I knew that I was aware. I was so present that, yes, there was a kind of self-reflective nature, yes. Because every moment of experience, there's always two things, two sides, two halves. There's the half of what we're aware of, and there's a half of the awareness that does the knowing. Two halves. And if we're mostly concerned about things, about the experience of life and what we want and don't want and who we are and what we got and our stories and all that, then we're focused on the half of our world, which is the, ha- the world of aboutness, the things, what awareness knows. As practice gets stronger and stronger, as mindfulness gets stronger, we become more and more aware of this whole other half. 
which is the the half of being awake. And there are people who go through a whole lifetime and are never awake in a spiritual way. They, they, you know, the idea of the opposite of being awake is to be asleep. And people who are walking around conventionally awake, bumping into things in the world, are spiritually asleep because they're so involved in their concepts, their stories, their ideas, their sense of self, what they want and what they don't want, surviving their fears, their angers, and all these things, that they're preoccupied. They're pulled into a world sometimes in a very addictive way. We're addicted to our thoughts, addicted to our feelings, addicted, so we're completely involved in them. We believe in them. We invest a lot of our energy in life into our stories and thoughts and desires and wishes and aversions and, you know. And we we don't have to stop doing those things, but it's nice to kind of realize there's a whole other half it's a rich half, it's a prof- wonderful half. That whole half of our being which is to be awake, to be aware. So mindfulness practice uses our capacity to be aware. And awareness is only something that operates in the present moment. Awareness concerns the present moment experience. And part of the reason why we're training ourselves to c- come and settle into the present, to really be here, is so that awareness can flower, awareness can grow, and be more full part of what our experience is here. We're developing awareness. And so, there are a number of ways of how mindfulness practice supports awareness, the growth of awareness. A simple thing from the ancient discourse that Buddha taught on the four foundations of mindfulness that kind of sets, opens the stage, the first practice that's offered there of mindfulness, kind of sets, I think, the tone of the practice or the general direction of the practice or kind of the, how it's done, I think. It begins by talking about mindfulness of breathing. And mindfulness of breathing is... Um, how it talks about it there can be applied in many different things. It offers basically three steps in mindfulness of breathing. The first step is uh, recognize that you're breathing. Recognize the quality of your breath. Is it short? Is it long? Is it it shallow? Is it deep? Is it... uh, uh, Jagged? Is it smooth? What are the sensations? What's the experience like of breathing? It doesn't have any judgment that good or bad, or just just know it how it is. You're allowed to breathe whatever you are. Just know it. So there's knowing. And then the next step is to uh, experience it fully with your whole being. It's kind of with your, the it talks about the full body. Experience uh, the breath, and the, the fullness of your body. So kind of. I, I like to interpret it as feel the fullness of the experience. So recognizing what's there is maybe a little bit cognitive, but to really develop awareness, you want to be more integrated into your whole being. So how can I, can you feel the whole experience? What's it feel like? And the third <clears throat> is 
relax. Know the experience, feel it fully, and then relax. And then when you get into it further, know what's happening, feel it fully, and then release. Set, set it, set it, set yourself free in the midst of it. And I think those three steps are uh, really useful to think of when you do this practice. Take your time with each one. Take your time to really recognize in this present moment what is happening. Two, feel it fully. Don't just stay in the head and, and recognize it, but sense it. Well, how does your body experience it? When I was in Burma meditating there, we'd have these torrential downpours. I mean, I couldn't believe. To say it was raining cats and dogs is saying it was a, a drizzle. It was just, you know, like it was a river coming out of the sky. And they would just come suddenly. And suddenly we had this tin roof above there. Yeah, so it suddenly... And uh, what, I, what I got fond of doing was as soon as the rain started, I would kind of like, kind of like open all the pores of my awareness, pores of my skin, to feel and sense what had just happened. Because the humidity and the air pressure and all these things shift and changed. So I was going to take in the fullness of that experience. And not just stay in my, in my, I hear it and say, oh, look, it's raining, it's raining cats and dogs. And this is interesting. You know, I'll just try to stay present. You know, it's a cognitive thing. It's like, let me, let me relax and let me really take it in, feel it, savor it, sense it. And we can do that with anything. Really be present, feel the fullness of the experience. And then, <clears throat> when it's time, don't be in a hurry for this, because it's really good to get, to really be present and get to know something. But it's really useful also to the last step, which is to relax. The English translations usually use the word um, uh, tranquilize, you know, tranquilize the body. And so but I like the word relax. Relax. And then when you go further, as I said, it's release, letting go, giving freedom. That process uh, cultivates greater awareness. As you know things, as you feel things, as you relax more, awareness is set free. Awareness becomes a bigger thing, more here, more present. becomes palpable, almost. Before this instruction in the Discourse on the Four Foundations, the, the Buddha talked about uh, one of the important steps that are needed as a preliminary. And uh, one way of understanding, I'll explain what he says in a moment, but one way of understanding it is he kind of said, I like to think he said, uh, you should have a beginner's mind, as was said last night or um, have the, uh, the, the wise form of not knowing mind. Enter into the present moment, your experience here, without a lot of preconceived ideas. Try to put your preconceived ideas of what is and who you are and what's happening aside so you can really feel what's happening there, be present for what's happening in a fresh and new way, as if you've never seen it before. You've, each breath is like a whole new universe and you're going to see it fresh and new, whatever it is. The way the Buddha says this is um, somewhat different. He said, 
um, put aside greed and distress for the world. And it's a little bit odd because I have all this, you know, greed and distress for the world. Distress. That's why I'm coming to meditate, and then I'm told that I can't meditate until I do that. It's kind of a little odd. But how I understand it is that when you sit down to meditate or do this practice, it cannot be business as usual. It cannot be just merrily going along and continuing what you were always doing as if nothing ever was going to be different. Then you come here and you're silent and present, you're silent and just here, and then you just get to suffer better. You know, that's great, right? Just, we don't want that. There's something, something's required of you. And what's required is first to understand that the approach to freedom that we're looking at here is not found in the world outside of ourselves. That the approach to the spiritual life that on this kind of practice we're doing, the problems of our life reside inside of us, not outside. And the solution resides inside of us, not outside. So there has to be a willingness to turn, at least you know, in, in this setting, this kind of appropriate setting, be willing to turn your attention away so you're not investing your attention, investing your thoughts, investing yourself in the thoughts about the world, meaning the people out there, or the job you have, the job you don't have, or your, your life circumstances outside. Of course, you're going to have those kinds of concerns and thoughts are going to come here. It's fine. But you have to understand that that's not where the practice resides. You're not in conflict with those things occurring in the mind. But you have to really understand that trying to negotiate, you know, try to come up with a better rejoinder for the conversation you had yesterday to solve all the problems of yesterday to plan out your future and plan everything out to, or to live in the world of fantasy is not where the Dharma, the path is found. So you have to understand that so that, and then have a willingness to not invest yourself in those. You don't feel bad that you have those thoughts and those concerns, but there is a, there's a kind of a willingness to shift. Oh, no, that, that's not where I want to go. That's not useful right now. Let me not continue going down that line. Let me pull back from this fantasy. Now that I see that I'm infantasizing, <laughs> let me pull back or let me not be so caught up or so invested in thinking about my past or thinking about the future. It's okay that I'm doing it in a certain kind of way. It's okay, but I'm not going to invest myself to it anymore. So that, that's how I understand this kind of letting go of preconceived ideas, letting go of, of this momentum of past, of desires and aversions and stress we might have. It's not an easy thing to do. It doesn't mean that we don't feel distress, doesn't feel we don't have desires, strong desires we cut caught up in. But it means that maybe then we bring them into the scope of mindfulness. We see them clearly rather than be them fully. We don't want to be our desires fully, be our delusions fully. We want to see them clearly. The second thing is to shift modes from being 
from explaining things to describing things. What I mean by that is to, go, to stop having stories about our experience or about what's happening anywhere, to stop out of the story-making mind that wants to explain and have commentary and a lot of discursive thoughts about things, to drop to a very a simpler level of presence of attention, which is can be dis- be can be referred to as uh, descriptive. Just just simply describe. You don't have to actually describe in your mind, but the closer to that. So, like, if you're breathing in, just recognize that the chest is expanding. If you um, if you have a shallow, you know, if it, it doesn't move very far, it's you know, kind of feels shallow and tight. Just descriptive mode would be just being present for the shallow and tight breath. The story mode, the explaining mode, would be, wow, 40 years after the beginning of Eslin, and I am in California having a shallow breath. I mean, this is not cool. I got it all wrong. You know, I need to have a deep, relaxed breath. That's what I'm here for. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm not getting it right. And I hope no one's noticing. And, and I got to do something different. And maybe if I walk really fast up to the top of the mountain, I can come back and come back with a deep, full breath. And then I'll be with the program. And, you know, and so the mind goes on and on into the stories and ideas. It's a very different mode than simply saying, it's a, it's a shallow, tight breath. Nothing more, nothing less. Just that. Not good, not bad, just is what it is. To start going into good and bad, right and wrong, starts moving into the the story-making mind, the the explaining mind. So I hope you understand this distinction. And the mindfulness practice uh, unfolds best if you're willing to kind of step out of the explaining mode or story mode and begin dwelling in just simple descriptive mode. Just be with what is, be with what is. The other thing is helpful for this mindfulness practice is to uh, inc- be willing to include everything equally. To be inclusive, whatever is going on in the present moment, to include it all equally as valid for practice, as valid for finding the path valid for finding our freedom. Wherever is going on. So no matter what's happening. I'm kind of fond, I hope it's okay to say this, I'm kind of fond of uh, a sign that used to have in the dining room many years ago from the cooks. And it said, um, the cook from, from the cooks, and the cook said, um, our practice is to make the best food we can. When we don't, it's your practice. <laughs> So in other words, uh, when things are uh, not going what we want, or uh, we include everything as part of the practice. Oh, I get to practice with this. There's no dessert. Okay, how do I practice with it? How do I include this? Everything equally. Uh, achy knee, a headache, grief and sadness, anger that arises. So all kinds of things. Okay, this too, everything's equal. Everything's equal for the purposes of the path if we open to it, stay simple with it. Recognize it, feel it fully, and relax. Those three steps, you can use it over and over again. 
recognize, feel it fully, relax with it. And so, um, so experience it fully. And then, to be complete with the Buddha's teachings on the on the foundation of mindfulness or the awakening factor of mindfulness, it's uh, defi- described or defined as the four foundations of mindfulness. And one way that I understand this is that yes, we're inclusive of everything equally, everything's equal, but as we experience it fully, there's four different ways, four different areas of our experience different kind of aspects of experience that are particularly useful to notice. Of all the different, you know, any given experience, there's many, many ways of seeing and being present for that experience. But there are four modes, four things we want to really recognize. The first one is the body. Over and over and over again in Buddhism, coming back to your body is so useful. The body is the home. I know sometimes the body is not a very comfortable home. But even when it's uncomfortable, it's very powerful, very meaningful to navigate, find the path through your body. The body is always in the present moment. The body generally gives a deeper access to the truth than than your thinking mind. Um, uh, I think the body, I think it's quotes Freud or Jung, uh, to misquote him, the body is the world road to the unconscious. It's a much more of our life is access, accessible when we're present here for this, through the body. So the first foundation is body. So no matter what's happening, you can, you can tune in, well, how is this experienced here in the body? What's the felt sense experience of it? It's a great protection. The Buddha talked about it, that mindfulness of the body is a great protection because if you're really here knowing how you're experiencing in the body, you're less likely to be triggered and act on whatever impulses you have unconsciously. So, you know, I've had the experience of being, being angry and not being very present and then later regretting what I said. And I had the experience of being angry and then dropping into my body to feel the anger and in that really being present, um, I'm not so inclined to say what I was going to say. I, I tend to be safe from acting impulsively. The second is to be aware of the feeling tone of the experience, which generally is understood to um, drop into the very simplest aspect of how this experience is for you, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. It's remarkable how it's possible to sense or feel that what's happening is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant. Three options. And one of the reasons it's remarkable is it simplifies things. Oh, it's an unpleasant experience. It's a way of dropping into the descriptive mode rather than the explaining mode. Oh, it's an unpleasant experience. I've been in situations, really complicated situations, socially complex situations. You'd need to spend years analyzing it to explain, understand all the different dynamics going on. So you can spend, you can have a grand time, you know, analyzing it forever and never get to the bottom of it. And if that's what you want to do, you'll never get to the bottom of it. And I've been in these situations and I found it so, such clarity and ease arises when I just, oh, 
it's an unpleasant experience. This is unpleasant. <laughs> That's what it is. And then in that recognition, there's a kind of a freedom. Oh, and then I think they pulled into the complexity of it, perhaps. The third foundation is uh, understood many ways, but one of the ways that, uh, the simplest way of understanding it, it has to do with the, the, the quality of the mind, the quality of your mental state. So in any situation, you're, whatever's going on, remember, we want to be open to everything equally. Everything's equal. But as I open to everything as it is now, what's the quality of my mind or my heart as I'm present for it? Is there is the quality of the mind one of greed? Is it greed that kind of... Isn't that not just simply there's a greed present, but is it is does greed kind of somehow color the state of the mind? Is the state of the mind kind of flavored with greed? Is it flavored? You know, if you if you go and see someone walking down the street sometimes, and they're really angry person, you can kind of see them from a distance. You see that there's a dark cloud over the person. You kind of recognize, wow, what a state that person's in. So that so that kind of is a state of being almost. What's a state of being, state of mind? And this is another way. So is it, is it greed? Is it, does, is it aversion? Is it fear? Is it confusion? Is the mind contracted? Is the awareness contracted? Or is awareness expansive and open? It's one of the things the Buddha says. Notice the difference between a state of being, a state of awareness that's contracted and small, and a state of awareness which is open and expansive. So no matter what's happening, we're opening to everything equally. But as you're present for whatever the experience is, what is the general state that you're in as you're there? Are you small? Are you large? Is your state kind of being uh, heavily colored by certain emotions and feelings? The Buddha makes no value of judgment on these things. He just says, know it. Be aware of it. And then the th- uh, fourth foundation, it means uh, start noticing some of the patterns that operate. Notice how when there is dessert, desire arises. Notice how when there's no dessert, f- fear or anger arises. I'm kind of being a little silly with the example, but, but just start noticing that the cause and effect relationship. So, oh, look at that. Not because you're analyzing it, because you're so, by this time, you're so present, so stable and here, that you start noticing the unfolding of events in your mind and heart, and you see there's a cause and effect relationship. You see that if you cling, you get smaller and more contracted and hurts. You see that in those moments when you let go of clinging, you relax and open, it feels a lot better. So here we are cultivating mindfulness. I've said a lot. I apologize sometimes for saying a lot. It's meant to be really simple. A teacher that I met in India named Manindra said, if it's not simple, it's not mindfulness. And when I had my credit, my traveler's check stolen, He said to me, Gil, be simple, but don't be a simpleton. (laughs) Um, The idea is to be simple. 
And my hope is some of the things I was pointing to here, it helps you to be simple, to appreciate the wonderfulness of awareness, of being awake, so you can be simple, just here. To appreciate the simplicity of just recognizing what's happening in the simplicity of what it is, the descriptive mode, as opposed to explaining and stories and all this, is so you can be simple. To include everything equally so you can be simple, just simple with how things are, at ease and just kind of go with how things are and practice with them. To relax with what's going on so you can be simple. One of, this, one of this difficult things is being at ease. Being easy is difficult. Being at easing up on things. But if you can be at ease, you'll be simple. You'll bring an ease through wherever you go. It's a profound path that you're involved in. It's it leads to simplicity that's profound, meaningful. And you're on a path that unfolds. You don't have to understand necessarily how it all unfolds. As these days go along, you'll be very, some of you who are new will see how each day is different, each part of the day is different. And if you just hang in there, there'll be ups and there'll be downs. It's best just to be simple and just be present and practice through them all steadily and continuously. Don't be pulled down by the downs, don't be pulled up by the ups. Just keep going, just keep going. And there's something, the Dharma will unfold for you. The inner, the wisdom of your body, the wisdom of your heart and mind knows what needs to happen. And this is one of the reasons why I said yesterday just have the attitude right on time, whatever happens. Because there is something about, there's something inside of us that really knows what needs to come up next, what needs to surface, what needs to be, be looked at and dealt with, what needs our attention, what needs our care, what needs our compassion. Be simple. Continue step by step, one step at a time, one breath at a time one act of mindfulness at a time. One little movement of coming back from fantasy or thoughts or past or future. Come back, come back, be here. May this moment, this place, this time be your home where you find your ease. It's the custom often on these retreats to end talks by taking a minute or two to just sit in silence, go back in your meditation posture. And that functions a little bit as a time to kind of regather yourself and to let kind of whatever you heard in the talk to sink in and, and uh, make for a nicer transition back into the, the rest of the retreat.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.